welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, we talk about a five-step process for quickly launching a commercial repaint client acquisition program that lasts. We're going to talk about a five-step process for quickly launching a commercial repaint client acquisition program that lasts. Um, This is something I get asked about a lot. It's something I spend a lot of time helping people do. Uh, Raise your hand if this is like kind of a goal for 2020. You want to see that percentage increase in your business. How many of you are probably hovering around the 5 to 10% mark? It's a lot of people in the room. How many people would say maybe they're 15 or 20? 15 or 20s? How many of you are like 50% or more? One person, two people? Not a lot. Three people maybe? So it's, it's weird because it makes up a large percentage of what gets done, but for some reason, very few people have much of it in their, in their mix. And we'll talk about some of the reasons uh, that happens. So you're going to discover you know, why commercial um, is an important and a great segment to go into. Critical concepts, outbound multi-step multimedia campaigns. We're going to talk about a, your, your selling process and what it needs to look like in commercial. Personal calendar and outbound communication, one-to-many client retention, and inbound digital lead generation. There's really five big elements, and we're going to go through this pretty fast today. Um, And going back here, I'm just going to beg your indulgence because we're going to move super fast. Uh, You'll have to take notes. If I were to teach all of this and break it down, uh, I would spend about 10 hours. So this is an overview, and then I'm trying to take the most important stuff in every element and go through it with you. So who's the short southern gent? We got a lot of folks here that are here for the first time by show of hands earlier this morning. I grew up in Arab, Alabama. That is pronounced Arab, spelled Arab. Uh, It was a clerical error and they just stuck with it. Uh, The federal government was slow even back in the 1800s and they misspelled it when they wanted the post office and it came back misspelled and they said to hell with it. We'll just be Arab instead of Arad. And uh, so I like that, just move with it, what's the name? And uh, we were poor folks. Dad couldn't read or write. Uh, he was the last of 13 kids. We lived in an old sawmill slat house, no carpet on the floors, old red well water would come out when you turn the sink on, one sink in the kitchen, unpainted wafer board ceilings, no air conditioning, wood burning stove. This is 1995, okay? <laughs> this is Alabama. And so we were poor kids in the, in the poor school. Um, but he taught me that education was important, so I went on and got my Uh, undergraduate in marketing, uh, my MBA. Um, I'm a husband and a father. That's my smoking hot wife there, my two daughters. Uh, We dressed up as a circus theme this year. That's why I don't have a beard because I could not get that mustache to stick with my beard. (laughs) And so I had it for 10 years. I know it's throwing some of y'all off. Uh, Friendship is a big deal to me. I keep up with lots of uh, my guy friends that you can see here on the top of the picture. Um, I drive an old 72 Chevy Blazer, which is better than Rick Holt's Bronco if he's in here. He's probably not in here. Um, so I love primitive camping, uh, old country music, high intensity interval training. Spend my time doing that. I'm Presbyterian, which means all of you are predestined to be at this session today. So I hope you take, a, take away a lot from it. 
That's a Calvinist joke. It's not as funny as it used to be. Um, so I have a strange, you know, people get into painting in different ways. Um, I got here from politics. I used to work on U.S. Senate, U.S. House, state and local races. I wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office. I used to go to D.C. and train people who were thinking about running for office uh, on the federal side. Um, so I went from, you know, being on panels for political consultants to being in the painting industry. Um, and I did everything from give me a dollar for Jerry's kids to uh, give me a million dollars for a science wing. So everything from grassroots to major gifts. But the main thing that I learned working on political campaigns is this, and that's focused urgency. Imagine if you ran your, your painting business and you got to run it for six years, and if you made one less dollar than another person in your market, the next day they bulldozed your painting business, they took all your money, they fired all your people, and you got to do it again in six years. Could you do enough? Probably not. And so when people talk, you know, I'm always trying to get our guys to, to get up and move because uh, there's a huge opportunity cost to sitting around to thinking about stuff and not doing it. My debut on the home services scene was not pleasant. I launched my painting business in very, very late 2007. Anybody love 2008? Was that your favorite year ever? Just killing it, right? Awesome. Best year ever. So that's when I started, um, and it was terrible. But I didn't know any better. And which was kind of good. I, didn't, I just thought this is the climate. This is what business was like. It, this is, you know, it was very hard. And it got worse from there because I thought I knew every damn thing. Um, I got an MBA. I read all these cute, lofty books about brands like Apple and Coca-Cola and Budweiser. And that was going to work really well in a painting business until I spent all of my money trying to brand my way into clients. I found the best thing is don't damn brand yourself. Just go get some clients. Because I always ask people, why are you branding yourself? To get a lead? Maybe just go get the damn lead. And not, and not like, try to do all this other stuff. And so um, I made a few discoveries. Um, and it was awful because I, could, I couldn't pay my, my mortgage. I'd racked up credit card debt. I'd spent money that I'd saved. Had a great reputation. Went into painting and didn't really know what I was doing. Everybody told, asked me, are you sure you really know what you're doing? I was like, oh, yeah, I know. I did not know. I was making a bad decision at the time. If I'd listened to them, I probably wouldn't be in painting. But I made a few discoveries. Um, the first thing is I discovered direct response marketing, and I found a mentor, and I really started doing what I knew from politics, which is pick a very small list. We're going to talk about that today. And you market to that very small list until they buy or die. You're going to just go after them until they buy or die. That's the only option. And so I started doing that, and things turned around. Uh, we became the largest contractor in our mid-sized market for high-end repaints. Uh, we hit about a million dollars, had 20 associates. We sold our company for $440,000 in 2013 when the economy was still soft. Um, and if I'd been to Eric Barstow's thing, I might have found somebody that I could have milked more money out of for, <laughs> for like five or six years. I feel kind of stupid for selling it for that now. Um, so how do I do what I know best at the Academy for Painting Contractors? Um, you know, we're in our industry publications, we're here at events like this, we have great corporate partners and we just give done-for-you tools uh, and group mentoring and one-on-one -on -one mentoring to people to help them implement systems. We do an event every year, this is the Painting Profit Summit uh, we just got back from and it's exciting to me because I just get to watch our guys who were small and not making much money and now they're big and making a lot of money and it, you know, it, this is a 97.3% male-dominated industry on the ownership side according to my lists. And, uh, Men, in particular, almost feel about their business sometimes, I think, the way women do about their children. 
And if the kids aren't doing well, they don't feel good. And with men, a lot of times, if the business isn't doing well, you don't feel good. And so when you change a man's business, you change his life. And I love, love working in our industry. I do Painters Weekly, so I hope that's been helpful. Some of y'all have taken some tips from that. Uh, we do digital marketing for folks on uh, our digital services. Uh, we're getting right now um, off the ground a painter's purchasing group to basically just let independents enjoy the benefits that franchises do. Uh, all of the national providers of paint and sundries kind of bend over backwards for franchises. Even if it's day one, you'll get a great deal, but you can buy for 20 years and eh, who cares? And so we're pooling our purchasing uh, power so that we can cooperatively work together like folks do in medical and, and dental and lots of other industries. So what I'm gonna teach you today is based on 1,052 hour-long diagnostics with painting contractors. This is what I have seen. Could you imagine spending 1,052 hours on the phone with y'all? Like, it's 1,052 businesses. So when people ask me, that's a half a year. That's half of your year, just on the phone, back to back with no break. And so I've seen just about everything there is. Uh, this works everywhere that I'm about to show you. Rural markets, suburban markets. I've worked in Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, Switzerland, New Zealand, franchise and independence from $100,000 to $50 million. And so I've seen it everywhere. And the only reason I tell you this is I didn't read some cute book and come in here and like do a presentation for y'all because I got caught up in an idea. This is like stuff that I've done over and over again. And I don't dabble in painting. I only work with repaint contractors. I don't even work with new construction contractors in painting, just repaint contractors. So I say all that so you can know that these aren't like suggestions that we've, we've ran this out in the field over and over again. So again, this is what we're gonna cover and we're gonna have to move pretty fast. Luckily, we don't have anything right up against us. So I think we'll be able to get pretty far. So <clears throat> as I mentioned before, if I were teaching this in a workshop fashion, every element, it'd be about 10 hours. I'd spend four hours on sales and about an hour and a half on all the other four pillars. So we're gonna have to move pretty fast. I'm gonna try to give you the gems in each one, but I think it's important that you see the whole picture if you're gonna go after commercial repaints. You can't just see, if I, I was talking to Mark over here, most people, when I talk to them over a beer or whatever, they say, I wanna get some more commercial repaints. Well, how are you gonna do that? Well, I want to get some more commercial repaints. And that's all they know. They just kind of have this feeling they want to get some more, and they maybe kind of got an idea about how to do it, but the structure is just completely absent. So today, you will walk away with the structure, and I'm going to give you some do's, don'ts, and some helpful tips on some of the other stuff. So why commercial repaints? I'm biased. I love them in our business. Uh, if you look up here, there's uh, Macaulay School, Tennessee Aquarium. Has anybody been to the Tennessee Aquarium in Chattanooga, Tennessee? Highest gas satisfaction in the nation. Real nice place, come see us. Volkswagen, we have a big you know, auto manufacturer there named Volkswagen, Kenco Logistics, I could have put a bunch of other ones up here that we did work for and I just liked it. When I left my painting business, there's only two things I really missed. And the only, I felt like I betrayed two people, two sets of people. And that was my commercial repaint clients because I built such a relationship with them like you don't with residential. I mean, I love those guys. I still stay in touch with some of them. I'm friends with them even though we don't do business. And then my painters, especially my crew leaders. I'm like, just stinks not seeing the guys every morning not working together. Um, and I think it was interesting as I put this together. The last four APPC members of the year at our summit all had huge increases on the commercial repaint side of their business that fueled their personal profits. And Sean is in Goat Fart, Missouri. 
That's not really the name of it, but it ought to be. He's out in the middle of no damn where. He's like 50% commercial repaint, okay? He's, if you drove, y'all have, a lot of y'all are in urban markets and you're whining and moaning about no opportunity. There's like a Walmart and a gas station and then 30 miles to the next Walmart and a gas station. And he's killing it. He's got, you know, I think it's like 1.2 million or something. These two guys hate sales and marketing uh, to the left here, Mike and uh, Greg, hate it. Hate sales, hate marketing, hate commercial prospecting, hate everything about it. About 50, 60% commercial repaints because they just do it. They don't have, you don't have to like it, you just got to do it. And then on the down the board, you can see these guys have made great strides. So why I like commercial versus residential, I like them both. I think you should have both. But I'm going to talk about some advantages for some of you that may not know any different. Um, gross profits are the same. Just keep your prices the same. Increase them a little bit, decrease them a little bit. Doesn't seem to matter. Some people will fit, some people won't. Virtually zero emotional breakdowns. This is my favorite part. I'm not here to counsel you, lady. I'm just here to paint your damn bedroom. Uh, I'm sorry that you and your wife are, are, don't like each other and that you've got a miserable life. Please quit calling me at 9 o'clock about the stupid house we're painting over here. I just don't want to hear it. I'm a very not emotional person. And so to deal with emotional people like, takes all my energy. People that in commercial are not emotional. It's like, is this thing painted? Was anybody mad? Did you make me look bad? Nope. Here's check. Let's do another job next week. Just very simple. One point of contact, less administrative overhead per project, much larger transaction sizes overall, less competition. You'll discover why in a moment, why there's less competition. Versus new construction. I have a chip on my shoulder about this. Um, general contractors know that you will lazily abdicate your sales and marketing and operations responsibilities so they can slowly pay you low margins. So they can use your money and employees to run and finance their projects. So they can file bankruptcy and leave you holding debt about once every five or six years. So they can keep you so busy and cash strapped you are unable to pursue other markets. So they can create dependence, kill your chances of selling your business because nobody wants to buy a new construction painting business. And I rarely see healthy new construction companies. 1,052. Occasionally, I will see a good one with good numbers, with people not having tons of overhead, not stressed out. Occasionally, some people figure out the niche, figure out the systems, but usually people are just suffering and struggling in this. And then every five years, either the developer or the GC goes belly up, and guess who gets to hold the bag? You guys. So I don't like them. I think it's a, and there's no equity in it. I think it's a dumb market to go after. So critical concepts for building complete, ever-growing commercial repaint program. So these are concepts that I think are important, and you need to know this before you go into this market. Uh, number one, it takes consistently calendared, self-initiated effort that rarely results in immediate rewards. Does that not sound enticing? Is <laughs> that not what you want? But that's, it's the truth. I'm here to always present exactly how things are, and then the handful of people that aren't chicken you-know-what will actually go do something. That's, that's my methodology. And it's alien because if you think about it, what you do now if you're in residential heavily is the email dings, the phone rings, and you go write an estimate, right? A customer complains or a painter needs a bucket of paint, you go fix a problem. The schedule's got to be filled tomorrow. Got to find some work for the guys. Almost everything you do is kind of responsive, and if you don't do it, something bad happens, right? Complaints, didn't get your check, bad review, painter quits, lose money. So you're constantly fighting these fires. Well, when you're going after commercial, 
the whole thing is the opportunity that it brings into your world. And if you are lazy and you don't do what you're supposed to, no one will call the BBB and say, uh, Joe's painting is like making half as much money as they should and they didn't get into the commercial repaint market this year and I'd like to file a complaint. You don't get any of that. Nobody's going to write you a bad review about you not doing anything and nobody's going to get on to you if you don't do it. Nobody's going to call and be mad because you didn't make it in this market. So it's all self-initiated and self-driven, which is why so few people have much of a, of a, uh, of a percentage of their business in here. Okay, So I will say this, and this is anti-sales. Uh, I should probably just tell you if you do everything that I tell you and you, you could just go straight into commercial and it'd be okay, but that'd be a lie. If your residential systems are out of shape, address them because it will safely train you and pay you to develop and use essential commercial processes. So often people come to me because I have this specialized knowledge about going into to residential or commercial repaints and I get on the phone with them and their system sucks. Sales system sucks. They don't ever contact their customers. They don't have retention mechanisms. They don't even time block in their personal life now. And it's like, almost like if somebody came up to you and they like, if they walked around the block, they'd be winded. And they're like, I just want to go run the Boston Marathon, Brandon. Can you train me? I'm like, well, buddy, you need to like lace up some sneakers and lose about 50 pounds first. We ain't, we ain't doing no Boston Marathon, big boy. We gotta, we gotta do something else first, okay? So sometimes if your residential is bad, if you will fix your residential system, so much of what we'll talk about works, the systems, you can use them on your residential lists, make money, and it can finance your commercial efforts. But if, you're, if all the stuff in your residential side is pretty broken and not very good and you want to go after commercial repaints, it does not fix any problems. Everybody thinks, oh, it's just one contact. I don't have to worry with a bunch. It'll be bigger transaction sizes. A lot of times people want to go into commercial repaints because it, they think that it will mask issues in their operations, marketing, and sales system. They've got issues, and, and residential's eating their lunch because they have issues, and now they think if they go here, those issues are going to disappear. That's what people are going to be like, bud, you, you'd make more money if you just fixed this and then did this, and some of you may be in that position, okay? If that's the case, you need to fix that. Uh, Well-functioning residential repaint companies do better getting into this, in, in all of my experience, than companies that are currently large and in commercial new construction. Just an observation. Why? Because new construction is like a hypnotic meat grinder. You got people writing blueprints. You got jobs that if you don't babysit them every day, they're going to eat your lunch. You've got stuff going on, and like everybody in your organization is so focused on not screwing up and keeping the next job coming in that devoting resources to prospecting and sales is so alien because the GC has just fed you work and told you what to do for 15 years and you've built your whole company around that. Now you're going to take self-initiated effort and focus on a new market. Usually really well, but if you're, so if you've got a, a good functioning residential repaint uh, company, you're probably better positioned to go into this than if you're a commercial new construction company that's even bigger. That's just by my experience. It's easier for those guys. Um, so here are the five pillars for commercial repaints. First one is multi-step multimedia campaigns. We got to reach out to a large audience of people and like shake them and get some leads and identify some uh, decision makers. We have to have a persuasive sales process because believe it or not, if you reach out to enough people with campaigns like this, they're going to ask you to do what? About write an estimate. 
And if your estimate system and your sales system sucks, you're going to spend all this time and money chasing Moby Dick, and you're going to show up with like a Walmart rod and reel, and that thing's going to be gone. That's a lot of time, Captain Ahab. You need to, you know, you need to get your stuff together. Let's not go generate leads we can't close. Uh, commercial repaint client retention system, we'll talk about that. Once you, you get them uh, on the hook, you've got to keep them on the hook until they're ready to buy and, or buy again. Personal calendared outbound communication, we'll talk about that. And then finally, inbound digital leads, uh, which isn't going to set your world on fire, but it's a great backdrop. It's helpful. Okay? It's helpful to do. So pillar number one, multi-step multimedia campaigns. It needs to start with this. All right? Good place to start taking notes. Um, it needs to start with online research. Type in, what, what city are you in? I'm pointing to you. Yes, you. Boise. Boise. Type in commercial property managers, Boise. Idaho? Is there another Boise? That's it. Okay. Boise, Idaho. Private schools, assisted living, tank yards, large employers, those are good places to start. We'll, we'll show you how easy this is. Supplement it with a purchase list, and then your whole deal is to go narrow and deep. Many of you want to pull a list and like try to market to a thousand people. You don't have the horsepower or the bandwidth to do that. Most of you don't. I'd say almost all of you don't. And even if you did, you wouldn't want to do that because you won't get to your return on investment as quickly as if you just pick a small, narrow list. So for example, I was in Nashville, Tennessee doing this for a national franchise, and this is an old search, but it's the same. So you type in commercial property management, Nashville, Tennessee. People always say, well, it sure is hard to find the decision maker. I'm like, you sure are freaking lazy. <laughs> you are very lazy. Like, I did this in like 10 minutes, right? Well, here's old Todd McCalla, right? Email me. It damn says email me. It says damned email me. Sure it's hard to find the decision. No, it's not. Get off your ass and look. Look. Kim Trauma. That's, that's, that sounds like somebody you don't want to meet. Uh, Joe Craig, Debbie, Lewis. His friends call him Lou. I mean, their names are right here. It took 10 minutes. I didn't even get past the first page. Most of you can do this. This is probably going to give you 20, 30 of your 100 people, right? Easy. Now, once you do, and you can look for private schools, you can, you can look for assisted living facilities. And if you can't get enough of those, you can go to, to lists like InfoUSA, or I don't know, I think they changed their name to Info Group, and you can look for buildings that are 40,000 plus square feet, because we don't paint people, do we? And you don't care about how many employees they have. We don't paint people, we paint buildings. You could paint people. Some of you probably do on accident occasionally. Um, Select the appropriate titles, facility manager, maintenance manager, site selector, whatever. Now, will this give you the exact person you need? You can't buy a list of commercial painting decision makers. I'll repeat that. You can't buy one. Why? Because you're the market, and y'all don't market. So there's no one to sell the list to, generally speaking. So you have to assemble this list. Now, what it does do is it saves you a ton of time and labor. Gives you an email address, the website, phone number to call into the switchboard, physical mailing address, and then you get to call in and say, hey, I need to talk to old so-and-so. Well, so-and-so isn't here, so-and-so died, 
so-and-so gets on the phone with you, he's not the decision maker, but you can get to whoever is. You have to do a little bit of Columbo, figure out who the person is, play dumb, don't be too salesy, uh, and figure out who it is. Now, a lot of you should probably join your local BOMA, HOA organization, or industry associations that have big uh, buildings, big facilities. If for no other reason than because you get the directory when you join. Okay, you get the directory when you join. And that, to me, that's worth the seven, eight thousand, whatever it is, just not to have to get on the phone and hunt a bunch of people down. And by the time you've done this, you've taken these steps, you go back here, we do our searches, we, we pull a list, maybe we join an organization, you're gonna have 100 people. It's pretty easy to get to 100 pretty fast. Now, are all those gonna pan out? No. Maybe you gotta start with 120 to get down to 100, but you'll get there, right? So what is a multi-step multimedia campaign? Once you have identified these humans that you want to go after, why do we do this? So a multi-step multimedia campaign is really 30 days of outreach to this list, okay? You're gonna call them, you're gonna text them. If you've got, like a lot of these people actually have their cell phones out there because they're in real estate and their commercial property management, you, you can do it, it does work. Email them, you're gonna do lots of in-person drop-bys because if you've got 1,020 people, you really, if you'll go after them for 30 days with multiple steps and multimediums, you'll get a lot further than just your one-on-one -on -one communication. Um, how many of you have ever been like on a list for a department store or a nonprofit and every year they've got something that they do? Maybe it's an annual event like PDCA. And then for about 30 days leading up to that event, it could be a Labor Day sale, or it could be a national conference, or it could be some big thing. They just kind of like hammer you to try to get you to do something. Raise your hand. Y'all have all been on that list at some point. This is the same thing. We're just trying to get some people to get us some physical appointments and see them. And um, you can just do it a little at a time, but man, it, not, the reason I love these campaigns is not only when you do this does it work, which is the main reason you do it, but it, it focuses you, it focuses your staff, and it's a finite sprint so that it doesn't last forever and you can do a whole lot in a short period of time, focus on this process, and then identify some decision makers and move on, okay? So we've got different types of campaigns that we run to different vertical segments. This is one that we did to medical offices. You have to be pretty reliant on U.S. mail and phone. I mean, they're not exclusively, but you better be good at those mediums because when you're doing B2B prospecting, those, those and drop-bys are like your primary mediums. But you can see we've got this envelope we send them that looks like somebody put a coffee stain on it, and they open it up, and it's got a coaster in it, and it says the office manager's coaster, touch at your own risk, compliments of ABC Painting. This goes to the medical office manager. And it's just personal and kind of wacky. And then we have phone call scripts, text messages. If you got people helping you with this, you've got to give them scripts and templates or they're just going to screw it all up. They're going to screw it all up anyway. But they'll screw it up less if you tell them exactly what to do and then you coach them and you do it then, then you let them watch you, etc. cetera. Uh, we have a free painter for a day program that we do. We reach out to facility and maintenance managers. We connect with them on LinkedIn. We send them packets of information that's very personal. Uh, we have good tracking and stuff for them. This is one of my favorite ones, uh, our toilet paper letter campaign. We write a letter on toilet paper. It's on toilet paper. Roll it out and it says, I've tried to reach you, but you must be backed up. Uh, I'd like to, no joke, I'd like to, well, we'd like to plunge ahead and set an appointment, etc. Actually, I think Jeff Winter sent me this picture here. He sent me this picture. I sent him this letter, he sent me this picture. 
This one over here is one of our members, and these are replies from people that actually got these campaigns. Do you know what the response rate is for this campaign? Does anybody care to guess? Like when people are actually getting back to you when you send these? 75%. It's about 70% because it's so over the top. Uh, some of you are very tempted in this room to do the crappiest, most boring, awful marketing ever, and I see it all the time because you're scared to death to like be funny or offend somebody. And so everything just sounds like corporate throw up. I mean, you could, for most of you, you could change your company name, the phone number, and, and the website and mail out each other's materials and it wouldn't hurt anybody in the room because there's no damn difference. You just, just shuffle, the, it's the same thing. Commercial residential painting in business since 1453 BC, licensed, bonded, insured. It reads like, like Catholic mass, okay? That's what it sounds like. It's the same crap over and over again. No pun intended. And uh, I'm feeling really wiped out. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I just can't help it. I'm moving on. Um, so your market and your, surface, your service offerings rarely change, right? Raise your hand if you're selling the same crap you sold 10 years ago, more or less. Painting services. Raise your hand if it hadn't changed much. Same stuff. Raise your hand if your customers' needs haven't changed much. Not much. So you've got to find new and creative ways to reach out to them about the same boring things. So you've got to switch up your messaging, switch up your themes. They want to be as entertained as much as, as anybody. They get the same boring stuff all the time. So you've got to mix it up. So when you do this, you're going to end up with a, if you reach out to 120 people, you'll do the first round and maybe you'll identify 11 or 12 people and you get two appointments. You'll do it again and maybe you identify another 11, 12 people and you get an appointment. And you'll do it again and maybe you, you've set another two appointments and you have identified five people. So at the end of the day, you've got 30 identified decision makers and you've met with six or seven people. A bunch of folks have told you they don't want to see you. A bunch of people haven't got back to you. A few folks have been nasty with you. And now your job is to go back and figure out where those people are and then to move them up through the ranks. And we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of hold those people over here for a moment. Okay, we're going to do something with them for a moment, for in a minute. But for right now, we're going to talk about what happened to the seven or eight people you had appointments with who actually needed something painted. Especially how many of you have gotten a lead from a commercial repaint source when somebody new got hired? They found your stuff, started calling through, somebody switches jobs, somebody's painter really messed up, died, went out of business whatever, couldn't make a deadline, and now you get a call, right? So now we get a chance to go see these people. So this is what most of you are doing right now, and I know, because I've talked to 1,052 of you about your sales process, I guarantee you this is like, if you drew a Venn diagram, this is 80% of the people in the room. You're gonna set an appointment, you're not gonna do any pre-positioning, you're not gonna send them any information about your company before you arrive, you're gonna answer the phone, ABC painting, how'd you hear about us, what's the project look like, we're not gonna make any differentiation, you're going to show up and you're going to bullcrap because you're the best damn bullcrapper that's ever bullcrapped. And you're really good at bullcrapping. Buddy, you can build rapport with an oak tree. I mean, you're just really good at it. You're going to pet the dog, talk about the bowling trophies. Hey, you, you pull for the so-and-so team. Man, you're good at it. You make a personal connection like that. Problem is nobody gives a damn about that because everybody's about as good at it as anybody else. Instead, you know, you need to do something different. We'll talk about it in a minute. Um, and so you're going to bull with them. You may have a brochure. You may show them insurance references. You're going to email some kind of PDF scope of work, and then maybe you follow up one or two times with phone and email, and then you're going to quit and move on to the next thing. It's terrible. 
awful. And so this never works. And I'm going to have to give you the Cliff Notes version of this because we've got so much to cover. You have to remember that your sales process with these commercial repaint clients, the only thing they're ever going to know about your entire company is what you show them when you do this. It'd almost be like if you took two people selling cars. Imagine if you had to buy a car like this. You walk into a warehouse. There's car A and it's got a car cover on it. There's car B, it's got a car cover on it. They're not going to give you any information about this car. Two people are going to walk up with business cards and they're both going to bullcrap you to death. And then one of them's 42,000, the other one's 34,000 and they want you to make a decision. Which one do you pick? So if your sales process is like what I just described, you're making them make a decision in an information vacuum. And you're, well, why do they choose them? Because it looks the same to them. The information's the same, the approach is the same. The only thing they can tell any difference about is the price. So you're selling something additionally in this market and also in residential that is risky and expensive. When you're charging twelve, fifteen thousand dollars for a repaint, that's like a, a new car, it's a middle-class divorce, it's what you'd pay in a in an IRS tax audit, it's high-end plastic surgery, and you're gonna sell it like a can of beans on damn Amazon and wonder why they don't buy? Well I emailed them a, a piece of paper, a digital piece of paper. I can't they can't see my value? No, they can't. They can't see that value. Not only that, you're selling it in, a, in an industry that has a terrible and deserved reputation. Oh, oh, we're the PCA. Don't tell us that. It's, it's deserved. I worked at a small animal vet from 7th till 12th grade. Do you know why Rottweilers and Dobermans and pit bulls have reputations for biting people? Because they damn bite people. They say, damn bite people. Save the pit bulls so they can bite somebody else. Great, but painters have a terrible reputation because we do have tons of issues with felonious behavior and drug abuse and crappy service. And so your job is to reduce the risk for them, and we're going to talk about how to do that. And again, we're covering five things. I have to move on here. No one believes what you say when you go in to talk to them. That's important for you to know. You're going to have to show them proof, and you're going to have to tell them before, during, and after the sale because they've been lied to by contractors so frequently that they do not believe anything that you say. Raise your hand if, even though you are in the trades, that most of the experiences you've had in your home over the last two or three years with contractors have been negative. And the rest of you are just too lazy to raise your hands. And you're in the trades, and you've got buddies that do it, and it still sucks. Imagine these jokers. And you're gonna go, well, I got a, I got a logoed shirt. I drive a wrapped van. It should, you know, magic should happen when I show up. I've got a brand. The hell you do. You don't have a brand. We used to spend, we used to spend $120,000 in elections to get 20,000 people to for 10% of them to recognize a congressman's name. You know how long that lasted after the election? After 90 days, it was almost all gone. Most of you have budgets of fifteen, sixteen, twenty thousand dollars for marketing, advertising, maybe a hundred grand. You don't have enough money to brand your community. You can talk to a very small group of people and be really good at it, but you don't have money to brand your community. And it'd all evaporate if you tried. So you gotta sell. And so your messaging mediums and proof and, and tools have to, to get comprehension out of them. And you have to say the same thing over and over again before, during, and after the sale. So the number one initial cause of sales failures that I see is this. 
Um, people never really get their hands around what they're there to do with a commercial client. So if I could read your mind, this is what your unspoken purpose statement would be. I want to get a price to the client as conveniently as possible and then get back to running my business. There's a certain way I do things and I'm pretty much married to that pattern of behavior. The more deals I put in the pipeline, the more likely I am to get a project. It's a mass numbers game and I need to focus on the low hanging fruit and move on fast. That's really what you're thinking. You th that, you know, I just gotta move on, gotta do this quickly. I can't spend too much time on it. Well, this is a better purpose statement when you go out to see these people. The purpose of an effective sales process is to convince the client that it is in their best interest to choose your company even when your price is several thousand dollars more than the lowest bidder and to create so much persuasive differentiation with your processes and proof that the potential client, this is my favorite part, experiences ample anxiety when they consider selecting the low price provider. When you change your purpose statement, it changes what you have to do in sales. This guy on the left says, I want to work out in 2020. Is he doing it? That job is done. That job is done, killer. He's done did it. He can say he did it. New Year's resolution, done. Now, when you set a goal like I want to finish three Spartan races in the top 10% of my age bracket, does that change what you have to do in order to achieve that goal? Most of you have such weak and wimpy sales goals when it comes to outcomes, that's why your sales system sucks because your goals are so wishy-washy that you can do it any way you want to and it doesn't matter. Well, the results matter. The inputs equal the outputs. So on a sales spectrum of persuasion, on the left-hand side is the minimum effort to deliver a respectable quote. That's kind of the show up, build rapport, email a PDF, maybe follow up a couple times. That's like the least you can do. Now, most of you kind of, this is where you live, way over here on the left-hand side. And sometimes I just wonder, like, when somebody calls you, instead of, like, going through the pretense of a sales process, you should just go $10,000 and hang up the phone. <laughs> I mean, that's the least you could do. You gave them a price. You didn't have to look at anything. You didn't have to estimate anything. You didn't have to go anywhere. You said $10,000. Click. If they really want to work with me, they'll call back. I'll pre-qualify them to death so I can lose the sale before I even go out there, and then my rates will go up. That's moronic. People advise it, though. So then you've got your comfort zone, and then you've got your personal best, and then you've got making your competitors look like rank amateurs. Guess what? It takes the same two hours to do either one. You're going to drive out to the place. You're going to look at the stuff. You're going to drive back. You're going to prepare some kind of quote. The people that close and have huge closing rates and, hard, and high billable rates, in most cases, don't spend that much more time with the client than you do. But you've got to go see twice as many people to close the same amount of sales at a lower billable rate because you're not persuasive. It's a big problem in our industry, especially when you go after commercial. So what you want is massive experiential differentiation and what I refer to as the preponderance of proof strategy, where when they call into your company, the script's different. You send them mail, email, and text and videos before you ever arrive. You show up with a, uh, with a gift and a diagnostic questionnaire. You walk them through an overview process. When you go through the audit, you've got really good, smart questions to ask. You're going to leave them with a, a huge book of proof for them to look at while you, if in any cases, even in commercial, go out to the car and deliver that estimate on the spot. If not, if it's big enough, you need to come back. You're going to walk through your company's story. 
We're going to present it. We're going to leave them with a post-positioning packet on exactly how to hire a commercial painter, give them all the details, and we're going to show them proof in every category from everything that this is what we do. And we'll talk about the proof. So if you tell them that your guys are background check, that's garbage. You need to show either the individual background check files or you need to have a certificate from there and you need to have information. If you say we've got a warranty, it needs to be on a certificate and it needs to be detailed. If you say you've got a satisfaction guarantee, it needs to be warrant it needs to be detailed. If you say we've worked in commercial, there needs to be tons of before and afters, there need to be testimonial letters in there. And if you've got a thousand positive reviews, don't show them three, show them all thousand. You're not going to do it every time, but we've got stuff you need to, I mean, when you show them the proof of how awesome your company is, it needs to bow the table. So many of you have so much good stuff going on in your business, but you hide it, and then you wonder why the, the client doesn't know it. Well, how in the hell could they know? You're not telling it to them, and you're not proving it to them. So your sales process is really important. So here's some really important things you can do. Practical advice on this. Number one, you need to match your messaging to their concerns, okay? They're worried about, are your painters safe to be in our facility? What handles that? Background checks, crew bios, information about how you train and vet your people. They're worried about guarantees and warranties. It's good to show those and also to back up with testimonials about, a lot of y'all hate warranty work. When you go out to do a warranty call, do a video. It's very simple. And say, hey, Mrs. Johnson, here at ABC, whatever, you had some issues with these aluminum windows. We painted them three years ago. Talk about what your experience was with our warranty. And you got a quote from somebody that's at a respected huge company saying that they stand behind their warranty work. That's powerful. And then guess what? You get her to write a review for you and then you canvas the area for other commercial repaint prospects. That's a great opportunity to go do something, okay? You gotta develop tools and processes, not subjective, unteachable, unverifiable natural talent. Some of you have like natural talent and you guess how much stuff costs. Do you know how hard it is to train a new estimator, your natural talent and your, like you pull a number out of the ether? That's very hard to train on. Stand here beside me, Cliff, watch this. $3,200, you got it? All right, let's move on to the next one. You can't teach that crap. Let me show you how to pet the dog. You don't pet it on the head, you kind of scratch it behind the ears. And let's see these bowling trophies over here? We're gonna talk about them. I see you bowl. No, I just collect bowling trophies, dummy. Are you here to estimate something? I'm very confused. You can't teach this stuff. Engage before, during, and after the sale. And finally, abandon your prejudices about mediums. Some of you like only follow up with email and mail, or only follow up with like email and phone. Well, there's text, there's mail, there's social media. You can send a selfie video saying, hey, Mr. So-and-so, I'm not heard from you in two or three days, we'd really love to do your project and text it to somebody. You can be inventive with your mediums and you need to do it before, during, and after the sale. We've only got five ways we can reach people, right? Email, mail, phone, text, and probably like an in-person visit. So why would we just use two tools? It'd be like if you went out to paint a house and you decided, okay, we got a brush, we got a roller, we got a sprayer, pick one that we're not going to use this project. We're just going to brush the whole damn warehouse. Why? Because I just really like brushing. That'd be idiotic, but we do it in sales and marketing, and then we wonder why it doesn't work. I mean, why would you leave tools on the table? It doesn't make any sense. So finally, as we move on to this third thing, do fish care how you want to catch them? If you explain to a fish how this is the best bait, and this is the best time of year, and the best time of day, and this is how you really like to fish, will they jump on the hook? Fish does not give a damn. 
about your preferences or your prejudices about how you want to catch them. They are caught a certain way, and people who learn to catch them catch a bunch. And people like me who just want to go out and like listen to country music and like drink beer and kind of like splash around and do it about noonday so I can get a tan, we don't catch much fish. I go fishing with my best friend Ashley. He catches tons of fish. I catch a buzz. And that's what I was out to catch. Okay? But he's, he's learned how to fish. You've got to learn how to fish too. Pillar number three. Number one, we did a huge campaign. We generated some interest. We've written an estimate and walked people through a sales process that's persuasive, okay? We're going to close some and lose some. Well, what about some of these other people, both folks that we closed and lost? So, how many of you have this at your office? It is a big, huge pile of business cards of people that you have met that could buy stuff from you or refer you that you intend to one day maybe do something with. Raise your hand. No, the rest of you, the rest of you have got them like in some kind of really good plan and you're constantly reaching out to them. Yeah, the hell you are. I know you. I've talked to you all day long. You're not doing any of this. <laughs> so you've got all this. You know like in your mind, it's like I got some, these people could buy something or refer something, but I don't know what to do with them, okay? Now, not only does this just happen in your business, but now we've done this big, huge campaign to people and some of them we've met with in person, but they're not ready to buy yet, right? They don't have anything for us, or they don't trust us enough, or whatever hasn't happened to facilitate us being able to sell something to them. But we can't just let them go cold, right? We've got to do something with them. We know that, the, the, that it's valuable. So prospect retention is really important. And, and when I say prospect retention, client and prospect, most of you think that only clients should be retained. But if prospects aren't retained, what happens? Oh, somebody's really smart out there. Who's got the right side of their brain on today? Who said that? Way to go. Somebody's thinking. After as much as y'all drank last night, I imagine anybody's in here thinking at all. So it all hinges on consistent value-add communication. It's about personal connections, and this is a shocker to most of you. It's not about painting, and it's about buyer-die persistence and customer lifetime value with a focus on retention. These people are worth lots of money. Don't be cheap and lazy about how you communicate with them, and don't be a novice about it. Your vans do not cut a check to you, do they? Do your painters cut a check to you? Does your equipment cut checks to you? People cut checks to you. Projects don't even cut checks to you, but we treat projects like gold, and we treat our people like garbage. Because we forget that we need to build our company around people, not projects, because people will buy over and over again and refer projects they're just, you know, they're temporary, right? So you cannot also, this is the, I either see people do one of two things. They either never talk to their past clients or prospects ever or barely do it or do it just like I send a Christmas card, great. Communicate with your customers during the time of year when they're the least likely to buy. That's real smart. You should send a 4th of July card. Write that down, okay? They're not buying stuff then. So 100% of your messaging cannot be Review me, 10% off deck staining, free paint upgrades, winter special, buy, 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 color of the month. Nobody cares about painting. I'm just here to tell you. You don't care about painting. Raise your hand if in your free time you research stuff about paint for fun. When you and your wife get together in the evening, it's like, honey, what do you want to do tonight? Let's, let's go on a vacation. Let's read some book. Well, I wonder what, uh, I wonder what Sherwin-Williams color of the year is. Oh, honey, there's a whole ride up on it. Y'all don't give a shit about that. You don't. 
Well, how do you, how do you stain a deck real good for entertainment and fun communication? I'd like to know. Nobody cares about it. You don't care about it, and you own a painting business. But you think your clients are really going to care about it. When you look at the checkout aisle, and there's these garbage magazines that you can buy, what are they all about? Garbage. People, people, doing, people that you don't know doing crap you don't care about. And they, and they sell. It's like people talking to people. It's like we have not evolved much since the caveman days. What's old Lucy doing? What's that guy that lives in cave number 76 doing? Well, I heard that he, like it's the same, we're just the same as we ever were, okay? And so we, you should use a monthly and emailed and mailed and even texted newsletter to these past people. And you can send it to your commercial residential people, well-known B2B referral partners, commercial prospects you've met in person, personal center of influence. Uh, don't like, buy a random list. Don't start emailing people that haven't opted in. You can mail them. Nobody ever opts out of mail, which is why I recommend you use it. But here's an example of ours, and I can't really blow this up over here. But, I mean, it's from one of our guys, Keith Zaffron, and it just says, so much to be thankful for this Christmas. Does that have anything to do with painting? Nope. It's just him and his family standing around a Christmas tree talking about what they're thankful for. It's like a church newsletter. It's like a nonprofit newsletter. People actually read it when you open it up. There's crossword puzzles, recipe of the month, stuff that people actually will read. And we get tons of feedback from this, tons. We do it both digitally, and you can email it, and you can uh, text it even. You can get a little link to the email and text it out to people. They click on it, it opens it up in a separate page. And the main thing is to get the content written. And backing up to this, there's this app that some of you put me on called Signpost. Um, and it is the perfect example of a good way to burn your list. And I constantly get emails from painting contractors, and it's just like a, it's like throw up promotion of the month. And it just review me, 10% off, because you're too lazy to like actually think about how to communicate with your clients. Somebody sold you this thing, and now you're just blasting your list with garbage. It, it's too expensive to build this list to do that to them. So you want kind of irrelevant and semi-relevant content. should be about 60% of your newsletter. It's very counterintuitive to think that you're not going to talk about painting in a newsletter, but you're not. It, relevant content should be about 40%. When I say it's relevant, things like customer of the month, thanks for the referrals, highlighting a crew leader and talking about their kids and their interest and their hobbies so you can humanize your business so people trust you so that they're, you know how if I asked almost any of you in the room right now who your insurance agent is, you could tell me. If I asked who cuts your hair, you could tell me. When people ask like who's your painting contractor, nobody can tell anybody. Y'all just swap customers. It's catch and release. That's why everybody's stuck at about the same level of sales. That's why every company in every market has like 0.0035% of the market share, but you're ready to expand to another market. Really? Yeah. You got 0.0035 of the market share, and you're ready to expand to freaking what? How about you just expand like next door? <laughs> you don't have, you're not painting that house. And so it's because you just catch and release customers. Like nobody gets the same customer more than two or three times. I'll just swap them. And so your newsletter, if it doesn't get read, it doesn't matter what's in it. So it has to be things that people actually want to read. So three principles that I have for newsletter style. It needs to be personal. It needs to look and feel like your painter put it together with his own two hands and like it's nice, like they're doing it. It needs to be plain. Everybody gets beautifully formatted corporate throw-up emails. That's about all you get. So it needs to look like Joe the painter. This is just my personal opinion because I've done it forever and it works. It needs to look like you damn near like 
hand typed the thing out and sent it. So they're like, well, it's nice that he does that. He's not the best at it, but I'm just glad he does it. Because that's what you want from your home service people. You want somebody to come do a good job at a, great, at a decent price and a good value. You don't want to feel like you're doing business with somebody that's got so much overhead you're being screwed, right? Everybody gets that feeling. Somebody comes out to give you a quote. If, they look, if it looks too nice, if the presentation's too slick, then you're like, Man, I wonder if I'm overpaying here. You immediately start thinking that. Professional but not pricey. That's the way I like things to look. So you want things to look professional but not like it's slick and expensive and the clients are overpaying. Okay. We generated some leads, right? We sold a few and we kept in touch with them with the newsletter. Some of them we did not sell and we put them on that newsletter list as well. So now they're at least getting contact. Why is that important? It's because you probably think that you're going to reach out to these people directly and be, a really good, uh, be really good and diligent, but chances are there's going to be some months that you're going to miss, right? It'd be better if they got touched those two months four times than not at all when you get in your busy season. I just know how your life really is, not how it should be. So this is a great way to just keep top of mind. And I promise you, you'll be the only one doing it if you do it. And when they think about a painter, you'll be in that evoked set. Oh, this is my painter. Not, I don't know who my painter is. Some dude that did something for me two years ago at my warehouse. I don't remember. Okay. So, where commercial repaint momentum goes to die. What often happens, and y'all have done this before, and even if, these, if you've never ran a campaign, how many of you have ever gotten hot and heavy about B2B prospecting, generated a bunch of leads, and then like just quit? Raise your hands. So some of you are so damn lazy you never even started. So at least some of you tried at one point. That's good. It's good you tried. And then nothing happens. And then two or three months later or a year later, you get again excited about doing it. So you go do something and then you, maybe you pick up a client or two and then they're dead again, right? And we've all been through this where we get excited about something, we do it, and then we abandon it. So this is what happens. So your ultimate goal is to move them, and these are the seven stages that we use. From blind account, that means we know this is a big, huge facility like the University of whatever, but we don't know who it is, but we know we want the account, to unverified decision maker, which means like maybe Ethel at the front desk said, I think Jim is the person that does this. Well, now they're, at least we got a name, even though they're unverified. Then we go to identified decision maker. Okay, I talked to Jim on the phone. He emailed me back or somebody emailed me and said, he's definitely the guy, and we know from first-hand knowledge or some, somehow. Direct communication with the decision maker, which means they talked to you on the phone, emailed you. And here's the big one, number five, in-person appointment with the decision maker. Everything that we do in the campaigns, everything that we do with the newsletters is to physically get you in front of the human. If somebody talked to you on the phone for five minutes about maybe doing your workers' compensation insurance, and then a month goes by, and if I ask you, did you talk to somebody about workers' compensation insurance, would you remember the name or even that you had that conversation? Probably not. You're busy. You have five minutes. Would you like to, well, and what you're, what you're going to tell them is this. Well, send me some information. You might as well say, why don't you jump in a lake? It's just the same words, okay? Send me some information so I can throw it away. Click. So some people think they've done something when they send somebody some information. You've done jack squat. You've let them sell you on getting off the phones what you've done. Okay? 
when, but when you see them, you're real. If you sat with somebody for 20, 30 minutes in your office about workers' compensation, and I asked you a month later if you had talked to somebody about workers' compensation insurance, how many of you would remember? If you sit in front of somebody 20 minutes, they become real. And that's your whole goal is to get in front of these people so you become real. Until they see you, you are not real. Okay? So then we've had an appointment, we've given them an estimate, and then we turn them into a client. So everything we're doing here is to move them up or down the ladder. You could reverse this list if you wanted to. Ascension, descension, who cares? But you've got to get them to seven. That's the point. So we do something called the Commercial Prospecting Points Program. Everything that all five of these pillars we have programs for, because if you don't make it programmatic, people can't follow it, and y'all are never going to invent anything from scratch. And if I asked you to, you wouldn't do it, and then I'd only have myself to blame. So we have a checklist and everything for you to do, but the first step in this is you've got to do the newsletter, but that's not enough. You really need to be reaching out to these people personally, emails, mail, drop by. It's old-fashioned major account selling, okay? Anybody familiar with SurfPro? My wife used to work there. They put them in a van or a car, and all they do is ride around and see people for a living. The whole damn system is built on a person in a car running a milk route. It works, running a milk route. You gotta go see these people, you gotta get in front of them. But here's the problem. If it does not have a home on your calendar, it will not have a home in your bank account. I'm going to say that again. If it does not have a home on your calendar, it will not have a home in your bank account. So many of you people have problems, recruitment, marketing, sales, and I'll say, well, show me your calendar for the next 30 days. Where have you time-blocked time to focus on this in a recurring fashion to fix the problem or to create the opportunity? And everybody says, well, I just tried to do it when nothing else is going on. When the hell is nothing else going on? About two weeks in January. You can't build your whole business two weeks in January, people. If it's important, you've got to have your whole calendar should be built around high-value things that pay you lots of money and then cram in the administrative stuff when you can. I promise you at 3 o'clock, if there's something administrative you need to do or a customer's going to be mad or a job's not going to be started, you will miraculously figure out how to do it. Will you not? But how do we not miraculously figure out how to call or do prospecting or recruitment? or manage our staff better or train them. It's because we never put it on our calendar. I use this example really quick. We, I got 15 more minutes, right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, if y'all got a diagnosis from your doctor, you went and saw him, and you said, he said, I'm sorry you got this weird blood disease, and you're going to live a long life, but you're going to have to sit in a dialysis chair for four hours a week for the rest of your life. You got too much iron in your blood, and if you do that, you're gonna be fine. You'd immediately go home and talk to your spouse and say, I got this weird thing, honey, but it's gonna be just fine. I just gotta go Wednesdays from eight o'clock to 12 o'clock, gotta have this procedure done. You'd sit down with your crews and say, I couldn't be there from Wednesday from eight o'clock to 12 o'clock, gotta go have this procedure done. And in a matter of a day, forever and always, your schedule would be changed. What's the difference between that and you just damn deciding to do it? None. So if you want to do stuff like this, just put it on your calendar and do it. Cut the phone off, unplug your router, tell people you don't want to be distracted, get your own staff people to hold you accountable. Guys, i got to do this or we're not going to grow the company. I need you not to call me at 8 o'clock, and if I call you, I need you to cuss me out and hang the phone up. And they'll do it. They've been waiting for an opportunity to cuss you out. So you just give it to them, and then you go make some money and everybody be happy. Right? It's easy. 
Easy to do, easy not to do. Right sizing your prospect list. This is why I go back to that 100. A lot of you, you know, to reach out to 25 people effectively with mail, email, and text, probably going to take you a couple hours. So if you're, if you're going to cycle through a list of 100, it's going to take you about two hours a week. And to do that a quarter, you can do four hours a day, or you can do it eight hours a day and just touch them, whatever it is. But you've got to right size your list and just focus on them. You will, you will make so much more money focusing on a small list of commercial repaint prospects and really getting to know them and saying, I'm going to own these accounts than you will trying to talk to a thousand people with a postcard once a month or whatever you're doing that's weak and wimpy. Just go after them. I often say, if I kidnapped your family and held them at gunpoint and said, I'm not releasing them until you have written two commercial estimates for repaint companies, you would magically know what to do, wouldn't you? Call them, go see them, email them, text them, mail them a newsletter, whatever it takes until the kids and, and wife or husband are released, right? You'd instinctively know what to do. Then why is it when we need to do it for our business, we just suck at it? We know what to do, more or less. We might not know specifically how to do it, but we could get it done if we were under duress. So just go do it. You need to keep your list organized. People always ask me, what type of CRM should you use? And then I ask them, how often do you communicate with your clients? And then they say, never. And I say, I would recommend a trash can to you. Because if you're not communicating with your clients, it doesn't matter what damn CRM you use. Throw them in the trash. Save yourself the trouble and the expense of pretending like you're trying to do something. Better that it be on a cocktail napkin, and you scratch notes on it, and you actually called them then you have a fancy CRM and never reach out to them because what makes the money? It's the communication that makes the money. It's not the CRM that makes the money. Having a bunch of contacts in a fancy CRM makes you zero money. Now, if you find a good one, great, use it. But to start out with, if you've got to print out every one of them on a piece of paper and stick it in a three-ring binder or put it in Excel, once you start making money and it gets unmanageable, you'll probably find a CRM. But my recommendation is always this. Get a lead first, sell something first, then go figure out your software problem. We spend all this time talking about software, but we never talk about the inputs that create the outputs, and those are far more important. You get yourself used to doing the inputs that create the outputs, you'll figure out the software problem, but don't go hunting down software to try to solve a problem first. Just solve it the old-fashioned way, get some traction, then do the software. Anybody remember Richard Simmons' Dela Mill? This guy's looking rough these days. He is not looking, to, he didn't look very good back then. And uh, so, it's the same thing. You know, they come up with these new dots and fads, and it's the same crap. It's just Richard Simmons' deal meal. They change the name of it, and there's different points and calories, and there's 15 different. It's just food. How many ways can you categorize what food to eat? It's ridiculous. Every five years, paleo, lithio, magnesium, who knows this crap they come up with. And uh, so we came up with our own crap for this. Um, and it's really putting together plans on how you're going to reach out to people. On the right-hand side, it's, you know, just written. And on the left-hand side, it's what did you do? And all activities are not created equal. If you, you can't really see this here, but at the very top for 15 points is conducted an in-person appointment with a decision maker. That's going to move the needle more than anything else. Set up a time for an in-person appointment with a decision maker. We give you seven points for that. Because if you don't set up the time, you can't go see the visit. So you should get rewarded for that. Conducted a drop-by with some kind of collateral or some kind of uh, thing. For decision makers, four points. Attended a live BOMA, HOA, or facility events, three points. Added a new decision maker to the mailed or emailed newsletter list. And then you get down to stuff that I'm only going to give you a half a point for. Emailed the decision maker. Well, that's kind of wimpy, but you get half a point. So you can get your points however you want to. 
you can email a billion people or you can go see one or whatever, you know. But you need to, whatever it's going to do, and you've set your plans, and you've got a whole list that you can choose from of things on the right-hand side, and your job is just to sit down and get your points. And once you're done, you got your points, you can move on to the next thing. And you need to track it weekly, or you're where you need to get. If you've tuned out, tune back in. If you put the inputs in, I promise you the outputs will follow. So many of you are focused on how you did. Well, that's as dumb as like walking up to a scale and seeing, did I lose any weight? Well, that's just showing you. What you need to be focused on is, did I go to the gym three times this week? What did I put in my mouth? What, what you know, did I, how many steps did I take? Did I monitor what I ate? What type of food was it? And if you never stepped on the scale, ever, six months later you'd step on the scale and the output would read positively. But we get so wrapped up in the outputs, we don't focus on the inputs. Track the inputs. Focus on the inputs. Occasionally reference the outputs. Okay? You need to track these. I created, again, to keep things simple, just a one-page sheet for every prospect. I know this is all right. This is paper. Well, you, sometimes you got to get people started primitive and then move them to something fancier because if you give somebody software and they, they can't learn it, won't learn it, don't have it, they can't even get started. I'd rather you just get started, figure out the, the technical aspects later. It's just got an individual prospect tracking sheet. It's got all their information on the top, and then it's got tons of information. Every time you contact them, what happened, what your next step is, you can put 100 pieces of paper in a three-ring binder. I've got guys that have done this that have, like, with simple pieces of paper and Excel spreadsheets, find $400,000, $500,000 worth of extra work. You don't have to have... This is a very simple business. We overcomplicate it regularly, but you can do it with simple stuff. And then are you reaching your monthly, yearly goals? You just track it. Put all of it in a three-ring binder. Some of you are just, you got to have it digital. That's fine. Type it into something. Put it on the computer if it makes you feel better. Put it in Dropbox. Email it to somebody. Put it in a presentation. Ship it to Mars. I don't, whatever you got to do to feel like you're technically doing something very savvy. But the main thing is, did you contact them and did they buy something? Okay, that's what you put in the bank. When you show up to the bank, what's the teller want? The check. Did they care how you got the check? Nope. You just deposit the check. You don't deposit your feelings. You don't deposit your opinions. It's just numbers. It's a check. So go put that check in the bank account. This is the last one. I'm not going to spend much time on this. John in our office does this full time for me. That's all we do is, is inbound stuff for painting contractors exclusively. And often markets that are really uber competitive for residential are not very competitive for commercial. I'll show you some examples here. And you need to search your local market to see if this is possible for you. And the thing about commercial search volume is it's low volume, or search volume is it's low volume, but it's high value. Meaning people aren't looking for industrial painters, commercial painters, uh, apartment painters. Not, that's a terrible example. Forget that. Uh, uh, medical office painters, sandblasters, whatever, tank painters. They don't look for it often, but when they do look for it and you get that lead, it's very valuable. So... You know, there are three categories that you really need to have nailed down in your area. Number one is service provider keywords. That is who you are. Okay, that's industrial painter, commercial painter, whatever it happens to be. There's the service keyword, which is like sandblasting, pressure washing, commercial pressure washing, industrial pressure washing, whatever it happens to be. And then geomodifiers, which is where you want to be found. And you need to get all those combinations put together, and you need to write tons of contents and words per page, pics, videos, etc. 
to go after these, narrowed down. And we've got a really good resource uh, for doing this because we've just been doing it in the same niche over and over again. And generic web developer companies will write the worst content ever for you. It's just garbage. Like I see stuff on websites like, three ways to update the appearance of your home. And it's like 500 words. I'm like, nobody's ever going to Google that looking for a painting estimate. You, the only reason anybody goes to your website is to book a quote because you don't even go to your website for entertainment. Nobody's going to your website for like, this is not, you're not Joanna, whatever the heck your name is, Gaines. You're just not. You just own a painting company. You need to write content so you can get leads. That's the only reason your website exists, okay? But like, for example, you go to the Chicago market here and you look at commercial painters and industrial painters, the aggregate reviews are 24. The aggregate reviews for residential are 71. So it's like a third less like on some of these metrics, you start looking at the strength of the local competitors and you need to start asking yourself, how long would it take, how hard would it be to kick them out of the three pack in that local market? And for some of them, it's pretty darn easy. So you look at some of the commercial competitive strength on here, and I did some totals. I'm gonna to flip back and forth here. You look at the commercial strength, 31 reviews. Well, in residential, it's 127. Page authority is 102, 119, not that much higher in residential. The difference between domain authority and page authority, 85. Flip back and forth the backlinks on residential, like 3,100, and they're only 831 there. Uh, and citations were a little higher on this one, which is an anomaly. But the thing that's interesting is that it's just easier. Most of the people that have the highest ranking commercial uh, lead gen sites are easier to bump out of the three pack than people that are more established residential contractors. So sometimes building another site makes sense. Now, a lot of you, for example, look at this map want to do work in Chicago. And Google says Chicago is this red line here. And you're over here in Westchester, and you want to be found in Chicago in the three pack, and that's never gonna happen. Just like if you look for a barber in Phoenix, Arizona, it's not gonna show you Chattanooga, Tennessee, because that's not where the hell you are. It knows where you are. So you need to move your business into that little red area or a second location or something to be found. And the further you are away from that location, the harder it is going to be for you to be found. So don't fight that fight. You can get in the SERP below, but it's getting harder and harder all the time because they just basically they, they just want you to be found if you've paid them. And it's more and more going that way on all the platforms. Messaging that matters. Commercial uh, clients care about the same thing. This is something that uh, Jeff or Archie presented to our group a long time ago. They did all this research. They care about warranty on the work, using painters that are background checked, 100% satisfaction guarantee, uh, using only insured painters, uh, reviews and ratings, only using licensed painters, all that stuff. We know what they like and care about based on surveys. I don't know why we just don't tell them that. Just tell them what they actually want to know instead of like putting a bunch of bull crap on your site that nobody cares about. Um, and does your site screen commercial specialist or ill-equipped house painter? You get there, commercial painting contractors, commercial painting new construction, it's very simple. Uh, another take that I like here is that all your videos, opt-ins, warranty, social proof are above the fold. We know what they care about, background checks, licensed and insured, family-owned operated, I don't know about that one, uh, satisfaction guaranteed, family-owned and operated. Who else would own a business? I mean. Do two people have to own a business for it to be family-owned and operated, or can just one person own it? I've never understood this whole family-owned and operated thing. Warranties included, free estimates. That's not my favorite thing, but it's up there. But it's got the warranty and the guarantee. We know it's important. There's a pitch video and an opt-in. 
so we can grab the lead quick. A lot of people come to your website and they're only going to come there once. They're only going to come there for a brief amount of time. You need to capture the lead quickly. And then also, this is something that I see a lot of mistakes made for generating commercial leads. This is, and I didn't have, I added this in at the last minute. This is about exterior house painting, but I love this setup. When they get to a page, they need to see everything that they need in order to book a quote. Meaning, if they land on any page on your website, they need to get enough information and feel comfortable enough about your legitimacy where they'll book. So when they get here, they don't have to navigate to get a quote. If they do, that's fine. But they just got to fill their stuff in and hit go. And all the social proof is here. There's a pitch video. It looks good enough to get the job done. I would add in some social proof, which is not here. But it really helps. So what we just covered in lightning speed is, and I'll take questions. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and if you got to leave, you can leave, but I'll answer questions and, until y'all run out of them. What we just covered is multi-step multimedia campaigns, persuasive sales processes, retaining clients, personal calendar, outbound communication, and inbound digital leads. So in commercial, you're not fishing, you're whaling. You're not fishing, you're whaling. And so it requires a change in mindset, and you have to have specific systems in place. I mean, you would never go with the same fishing pole to catch a little bit of brim that you would to like, you know, catch a marlin, would you? You'd be disappointed, because that thing ain't gonna hold up. So if you're gonna go after commercial, you, you just need to, you need to step your game up and you need to put the processes and systems in place. I'm gonna pass this, just have y'all pass this around if any of y'all want this. A lot of y'all try to ask me questions when I'm drinking at night, and uh, <laughs> it's just a damn waste of time. I mean, I'll tell you, whatever you want. We just pass this, take a few of these and pass it down the road backwards, straight back, and then y'all pass it over if you want to do something. Um, the easier way, here you go, just pass it down. People that wanted will actually find it. Um, it's just fill this out. I'll get back to you at some point. We'll set up a time to talk. I've never had anybody take my advice over a beer, ever. Maybe once or twice. You just won't do it, so there's no point in asking me, really. But I'll tell you. So fill that out, I'll help you. Um, questions, anybody have questions about breaking into commercial repaints? No questions, yes sir. Okay, to repeat the question, do we have to have our website dedicated to commercial? No, I don't think you do. You got two options. So it's kind of a, a bigger question. Number one, it depends if you're if you're located in a bad area and you need to set up a new one with a new domicile location, then probably yes, you'll have to start over. Moving all your properties and citations and stuff for your existing residential one into a new area is probably going to be tough. Um, but you need to at least look like it so when they come there and you need to figure out what your 10 or 15 terms are you want to compete for and you need to go after those and then track your ranking on them. Uh, to watch and see what it does. And we do that for our guys monthly so we can see how they move up organically. And while residential terms are really hard to go after, a lot of times you can get ranked for commercial time uh, terms a lot quicker than what you can residential because there's less competition and there are weaker websites there. And a lot of your national franchises that rank pretty darn well, don't, um, they don't go after those commercial terms because not, not all their guys do it, especially the abstract ones. Yes, sir. Yes. So he asked me, are you including HOA work, 
resident. To me, if a commercial entity is paying you for it and it's a large project, it's commercial. It, I don't think nomenclature matters. I do a lot of work with a big $15 million company that works exclusively with HOAs. It's different. It, it really is what we just talked about here on steroids and there's multiple decision makers. There's a property manager and a board and there's actually presentations that get done. I mean, that's, it's pretty high up. It's actually easier to land commercial maintenance painting for large institutions than it is working with HOAs because there's so many old people with so much time on their hands that shouldn't really be doing anything, making decisions. It's very frustrating. Do like it doesn't matter. You can make money at either. I would prefer to not do HOAs because the margins are lower, but they're bigger. They last a long time. I just, I don't like dealing with the, I'd rather just go after an easier market. Yes, sir. Uh huh. You got to take it to somebody. It's good. It's a good question. Um, so when the question is, when you have an underling like a property manager who's going to bump it up to somebody else, how do you handle that situation? So number one is your sales process to him has to kick ass, and number two, if at all possible. Uh, Number one, you try to get him in on the meeting. Sometimes that's not going to happen. If that, if you know the contact name of the individual, we've had our guys do some pretty wacky things like record a video, put it on a cheap tablet, and mail it to them. Like a $50 cheap little tablet, record a video, put it on there, mail them the tablet, mail them their entire three-ring binder of 200, 300 pages that they'd normally just give to somebody. If you're bidding a $60,000, $80,000 job, you can afford to spend $200, $300 on putting a really nice shock and awe package, put it in the mail. I mean, you can send a damn singing telegram from a clown. I mean, who cares? Get creative. When you got these big jobs on the line, you need to, like, shake them. And you need to make a difference. I mean, we're so cheap. It's like, you know, we'll spend all kind of money on equipments and vans and all kind of stuff, but when it comes to our marketing and sales processes, we're like, oh, that'd be a piece of paper. That'd be a stamp. That'd be an hour worth of time. I'm like, it's a $100,000 job. Who cares? Spend the money. Yes, ma'am. So, just to touch on the commentary, like you said, it's a free painter for a day. Yes. Um, that obviously sounds like a great way to get your foot in the door, a lot of freedom, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so when would be a good opportunity for that? Free painter for a day has worked really well for us in a lot of markets. Uh, it's like a lot of things people will, sometimes people use it, most often they just don't. It gives you an excuse to reach out to people. I'd like to come by and talk to you about our free painter for a day program. Sometimes they'll use it, sometimes they'll just knock it off the, uh, like a, they'll give you a two, three, $3,000 job and you just knock off whatever a painter would be. Rarely do people actually take you up on that offer, but it presents well, it sounds good. Honestly, you could write, I need commercial work on a cocktail napkin and mail it to people, and then pick up the phone and say, I need commercial work, who do I talk to? I paint, can I paint for you? And you'd, you'd close a lot of jobs. But you can, it's better to be more inventive if you can. Okay, so you're using it as a sales process. Yes. And then it sounds like it's kind of a try before you buy. It's a try before you buy, but it's just, it's just an excuse to get in the door. We've mailed rubber feet to people that says, I just want to get a foot in the door. and stopped by and we did a naughty and nice campaign where they people that didn't get back to us got a lump of coal a lump of coal said you're on Santa's naughty list and people that got back to us got a big huge candy cane and a bunch of stuff saying we appreciate you so I mean you just got to find some way 
to be inventive. Biggest obstacle number one is just pushing past, getting to the decision maker. People are pretty wimpy. Well, I called and I couldn't figure it out. But did you ask? Did you call the accounting department and try to sneaky Pete your way to another department? Did you go show up? Did you ask the receptionist? Did you call somebody you know? Did you prospect on LinkedIn? Did you call in and act stupid? I mean, whatever you got to do to figure out what the name of the person is, that's the first thing is people just can't even get the decision maker's name. And then people are disappointed when somebody doesn't, you know, you know, residential, you go, you give a bid and you win whatever your closing rate is worth of them, you move on to the next one, it's immediate gratification. And this is like a slow, steady slog. And you may talk to somebody four or five times before they ever buy from you, and they may never buy from you. I called the guy at Aztec, Aztec Industries three years, three years. And finally, nothing damn happened. <laughs> nothing damn happened. Never did any work for them. Just never gonna happen. Some people you'll never get, but don't count the yeses, count the noes. All the yeses are buried in the nose. Yes, sir? At what point would you qualify? Say you do nighttime work and off hours work and then have your commercial industrial that type thing. At what point would you qualify that? Or how would you handle that? I mean, it just depends. I mean, if it's something you don't do, <clears throat> if it's something too risky, if it's something that you can't float financially, it is. Uh, this is a good point. If you tuned out, tune back in for a second, and then I'll stand up here and a a uh, answer questions if anybody has any. Some people are so afraid of going after commercial, I think it's just a bullcrap excuse, but they say that they're so afraid because they're afraid that they'll, some, they'll call on somebody and then they'll ask them to do something that they can't do. That's the easiest sell in the world. You just go, I'm sorry, we wouldn't be a good fit for that, but here's the five things we are a good fit for. We're going to pass on that. All you got to do is say, we don't do that. And it doesn't ruin the relationship. It doesn't mean that you can never paint for them doing anything else. It just means we don't paint high rises with scaffolding and I don't even know what the crap those things are called, repelled stage list, swing stage. We don't even do that. But we can paint the interior offices. We can paint your bollards. We can strop your parking lot. We can paint your toenails. Whatever you paint, you just go paint for them doing that. Because a lot of people have multiple painters. I mean, you run into them, it makes you mad. You're at your big account and there's some other dude in there, some joker, and you just, you're both doing work for this big client. It happens. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. Anybody else have any questions? Take one more and we're going to close out. Go ahead. What was your message on the toilet paper roll? Oh, it's very, the message on the toilet paper roll, <laughs> it's just a bunch of obscene jokes, uh, one after the next. Like, uh, I know you get the same old crap from painting contractors wanting to do work. Uh, please don't flush this letter. Uh, and just, you know, really just stuff about, just, it's just funny. And they're usually guys, not always, but even the girls think it's hilarious. Like one of those that I sent back was from a lady. And she took a picture and said, I got your message. She put it on the toilet, took a picture. I mean, it's, people think it's funny. They keep them. You go in their office and it's got a little blue ribbon on it and it's sitting up on the shelf. They kept it. They showed it to other people in the office. Did they do that with your email or social media post? Nope. So you, the closing, guys, if you want to go after this market, you can do it. People that have less talent and time than you have done it, uh, if you need help doing it, let me know. Thanks. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. 
To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.